What is up, everybody? My name is Brian, and welcome to the Sneaker Enthusiast Podcast, where each week my brother Nacho and I sit down with a guest and geek out about sneakers. We geek out about sneakers, we interview people in the sneaker industry, we're going to be doing some sneaker news. Basically, if you're into sneakers and you've come to the right place, this is episode number one. This is our very first episode, so you know we had to do it big, you know we don't play around. This week, we have the CEO and founder of Nice Kicks, Mr. Matt Hatfield. Matt is a wonderful person. He grew up in the same town as me and Nacho, and we bonded over that. We talked about his years in the sneaker industry, how he came up, and he's been doing this for close to 20 years. So basically, if you've never heard of Nice Kicks and you've been living under a rock because it's one of the best things that ever happened to sneaker culture. So with that being said, guys, let's take our attention over to the conversation we had with Matt Hatfield. Enjoy. Well, well, speaking of uh, of journeys, let's let's. Uh, well, first thing, thanks for being here and thanks for doing this, man. This, you know, this this is a uh, huge for us. This is like our this is episode number one. So to have you on episode number one, it, it means a lot, you know. And it and I think you're smart enough to know that it, you know, like us being able to be like, yo, we just had Matt Halfill on, like it's a big deal for us. So thank you. Oh no doubt, man, no doubt. Um, but let let's let let's let's go to the beginning of your journey and let let's talk about like how you even got into sneakers or how you even got into, you know, um, doing this as a living and being known as, you know, a, a sneaker entrepreneur, if you will. Yeah. So, um, you know, sneakers for me started really, um, in Fresno, California. Um, I, I re- there were quite a few memories as a child in elementary school that I flash back to that I where sneakers like made an impact with me. And of course, I grew up, you know, I was born in 84, um, grew up in the 90s. And four, baby. <laughs> yeah. So we had, I mean, we, it was a great time. Like, I mean, we had really, really a fantastic time for when you think about like Michael Jordan and, you know, all the shoes that Nike was bringing out at the time, Reebok as well. Um, and it was just an, it was just an exciting era. And I remember, I think this was probably, kindergarten or first grade it must have been first grade just because the timing of when the shoes released but i remember a, a kid i went to elementary school with had the la gear regulators and you know it yeah that was like the la gear version of the reebok pump but still it was cool to see kids going up and like squeezing the tongue of a shoe and how it was like this interactive thing and i remember i was like that is so cool he's wearing shoes that you know can do that but it's like also part of me was like it's cool that he has something on his feet that other kids are pe- taking interest in, you know, like, it's just like subconsciously you, you, you notice that. Um, <clears throat> there were, there was another time where like some kids brought up like how much their shoes cost kind of thing. And one of the kids had the Air Jordan sevens. Another kid had a pair of, I can't remember which Reeboks they were, but like they said, Oh, mine were 50 or 60, mine were 40. And then I like, I like lied and said mine were 30, which I knew mine sure as hell were from $30 because they were from Payless and they definitely were like at best $25, $20. I mean, my parents were never spending big bucks on shoes. Um, <clears throat> but I did get some good luck at big five. And, you know, I remember getting um, the carnivores um, at big five for like, 20 bucks or 30 bucks i love those things so i wore those things for over a year like my foot like totally grew through them but like i didn't care i had i just love that shoe so much 
but yeah, like most of the time, and I got a couple of Hirachis there over the, uh, through time. Um, but the first shoe that really did it for me that I just, I mean, I say it's like my Kickstarter, the one that really got me hooked on shoes was the Reebok Answer one. And I somehow convinced my mom to go to Mayfair Mall and go to the World Foot Locker. And we got got them. I mean, they were on sale, of course. Um, <clears throat> if you know anything about my family, they're not going to make full price on anything. Um, so got them on sale, I think, for like $85. But it was my first shoe from a mall. And that was the start of it. This is, this is in Fresno, the, the Mayfair Mall? Or sorry, I said Mayfair. Fashion Fair Mall. My gosh. Oh, sorry. the Fashion Fair Mall. Yes. Fashion Fair Mall. Sorry, Mayfair Mall is where I worked at in Victoria. Um, Fashion Fair Mall in Fresno, California. Right. With the World Foot Locker. Yeah, this is this is a uh, you know it's crazy that to that you know when we speak we can both know exactly you know what Fashion Fair looks like in our mind in the nineties. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, that was that was a different time, very different era. And then you you eventually like got into like actually working at a like a, it was like a sportswear store, I believe, or something. It was in Canada. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I do think that there's a there's an important part of the story that I do think I think that ties to Fresno as well, which is going to Edison High School. Um, when You're I went a to Tiger, oh yeah, I'm a Tiger. Man. Oh man, that's crazy. Um, I went to Edison High, and at Edison. It was amazing because I got into like looking, I think I started getting the East Bay catalogs mailed to me because I did wrestling at Computech and they just immediately start sending you those. You get on the mailing list, they start sending you the, the catalogs. And I, what I saw when I went to Edison was like, I could see in real life the shoes I saw in the East Bay catalog. And it was like amazing to look like down there. It's like, oh my gosh, that's those. Oh, that's what those look like in real life. And it was like, I couldn't believe that to see some of these like Air Jordans in real life. I never didn't get to see them before. I only saw them like little like fuzzy pictures of Michael Jordan wearing them on TV, but here they were in real life. And I, so that was where I really, really got into shoes was ninth grade at Edison High. Um, I mean, Edison, you know, now, at least nowadays, I think it's a, it's a pretty hood high school, right, David? Back then, was it, was it more, it's always, I mean, it's never been like, you know, it's a, it was a magnet school because of Computech, but yeah, for the most part, I mean, they're known for their athletics and yeah, I mean, they are, you know, on the West side. So, I mean, it's not, it's not a, uh, an ideal high school unless you're going for sports or you're in Computech, but I mean, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a bad school either. You know I mean? It has, mm -hmm. it's like any other high school in Fresno. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so Fred, so Edison high did have a magnet program in it. Um, the history of Edison and its magnet program was, a pretty unique one. It was actually a, a case study. It was like actually a, like an experiment. In, mo in a lot of American cities, kids from the inner city or from lesser advantaged areas that were in a district that was underperform a school that was underperforming, they bust the kids from there to other schools. Uh -huh. Fresno Unified had the, took did this experiment of taking kids who were part of an accelerated program and busing them into an area that was not performing as well academically. And that was disadvantaged. Shout out and to Fresno. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Fresno. I loved it because for me, like it was really where I, I was exposed to so many cultures that I would have never crossed paths with. And I learned so many things that I would not have gotten the experience had I gone to like Bullard High or Clovis West, like no chance. So 
I really, really, really appreciate Edison High School. Um, it had it by far my, even though I had only two years total at Edison, um, it had more impact on me than any other school I ever went to in my whole life. Um, so shout out to Edison. Um, but after Edison High School, my family moved to the Caribbean. Uh, we lived in Grenada. And that was where I first discovered that kids were into sneakers, not just in America. And I walked in on the first day of school and this is like, my school didn't even have windows. It was just like holes in the wall. Um, and very, just like, just very different from from America. But I walked in wearing a pair, my first pair of Air Jordans that I was able to get um, from Just For Feet as they were going out of business or their first bankruptcy or whatever. Um, Do you remember which, which model they were? Oh yeah, Air Jordan 14 Black Red. Nice. Last shot. Nice. Um, but the kids like mouths dropped because they saw the Air Jordan 14 for the first time in person. And then I saw, sure enough, they had East Bay catalogs too. They had family members in America mail down East Bay catalogs and other like American like print material, like other magazines and whatnot. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this sneaker thing is not just an American thing. And I, it was, it was like this kind of this, this poetic, like tilt, like here I was, I went to Edison and I was just in awe of seeing the shoes in real life for the first time. And then here I go to Grenada, you know, very like underdeveloped country, developing nation. And then kids were doing that with me, like seeing my shoes for the first time and being in awe that, and from there, because it matched up to their magazine. So that was like where I really saw that sneakers was not just an American thing. And after, after we, my family was in Grenada, we moved to Canada and I got a job at Athletes World. And that's when like my career, you might say in footwear started. Um, I started working at Athletes World at Mayfair Mall in Victoria, BC. I said the right mall this time. Mayfair Mall in Victoria, BC for um, Athletes World Store 648, employee number 8517 on March 30th, 2001. So 20th anniversary of when my first day on the job is like coming up in a couple of months. But by, the, but, but by the time you got that job, you were already like fired up about sneakers. You were already like super into them. I was into them. Yeah, I was into them. I, I, I mean, I knew quite a few of the different models. I didn't know like the, the numbers of the Air Jordans or whatever at that point. I actually knew more about the, probably the Kobe and Iverson line than I did the whole Jordan line. And that's just because I hadn't get gotten a retro card in my hand where I could study it. Um, I knew more about that, more about modern tech than heritage by far. Because I you, I, 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 I listened to the complex podcast. I really enjoyed that. They, it was really cool interview. I mean, you talked about like being into music mm -hmm. and uh, like you wanted to be a musician, like how, how, how much of that was going on while you were uh, working at athletes world? Like, were you still, super passionate about music or were you already like just tunnel vision on, on sneakers? I was tunnel vision on sneakers. So I was, I actually was a musician prior to moving to Grenada and to Canada. I played in a Dixieland uh, group there in uh, Fresno, California, uh, they called the Hall's Angels. Uh, we were tied in with uh, really the, the director's son was in, was, you know, the band was like built around him. And he, the director, was a member of Blue Street Jazz Band, which is another Fresno local uh, Dixieland group. And so we played at a, a lot of the festivals that Blue that Blue Street played at. 
um, all up and down the West Coast. I remember, David, do you remember when we worked at the at the Radisson together and they had the... Yeah, they, they, they used to have the Dixieland band. Like you guys oh. would be there like every, like once a month and then they'd have like one big one once a year and they had all the jazz. All the yep. old folks came out and they would dance like Fats Waller. Yep, that's that's definitely it. That's definitely, we. I'm sure we played there a couple times. That's awesome. I, I also studied, I went to music for school. I mean, I went to school for music. I studied jazz as well. So I never... You know, I never really got, I never joined a big band or something like that, but that that's awesome that you have that, that background. Yeah. That, and that, and, and so the director was from, was a um, music teacher at, at Manchester, um, Ed Hall. And, uh, you know, I, I was actually having a conversation with my father about this yesterday. Um, how much I, how, like how grateful I am for my education in Fresno Unified. Um, everything from Forkner to Manchester to Computech to Edison, like so many of the skills and foundations and exposure I have that have put me to where I am and what I've done with nice kicks came from Fresno Unified Schools. Um, even my earliest days of programming, I got my feet wet with Logo and Basic in fifth and sixth grade. You know, I started doing engineering concepts in seventh grade at Computech doing Lego logo where we were building, we were building robots that we controlled with an Apple IIe, you know, like, and then, and then in ninth grade, I, in ninth, in ninth grade, we were doing basic, but doing more like complicated four next loops. And like, just for like an, like a at lunch program, like one of the teachers helped me put together, like how to build a four next loop that would crack a password that was like three digits long. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. I just can't leave out. It's so important to the story. And I like, that's why I like, I, a lot of people are like, why do you show so much love to Fresno? And it's like, well, cause like that is really the foundation of, of everything for me. So. Yeah. Fresno's underrated. I think my, my brother, Un- David, he's like the underrated. number one fan. Number I mean, one fan. Come on, man. It's home, you know, Fresno's where mm-hmm. it's at, you know, but talk to us, talk to us about like, when you were working at Athletes World and and you kind of had, like, it seems like you were, you know, based on what you just said, you were like really um, passionate about like just problem solving, just solving problems creatively. And and uh, and I, when when did you realize like you wanted to uh, you wanted to do your own thing? Yeah. So at Athletes World, what I I really like, I remember the first day like being just kind of thrown out on the on the floor. I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm going to start talking to customers now. Like this is my first day. Like, don't I, shouldn't I have to read like an employee handbook or something like, no, just go. Okay, fine. I'll try to figure this one out. Um, I really learned how to talk to customers and learned how to talk to people and listen to people and look for their feedback, their cues. And once you start to see what they're looking for in a shoe, then you help you kind of steer them in what, you know, would be good for them. And a part of it is trial and error, you know, like there's just no other way to, to, to put it. You, you know, you are, you're going to have to just get reps in where you learn what works, what doesn't based on what their feedback is. But um, I really got into and obsessed with the technology in the different shoes. Like I would try to read and learn the ins and outs of every piece of tech on every product. And I found that as a salesperson, because by the way, we were commissioned, like, you don't sell, you don't eat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was, I found that the best way to sell a product was to not just tell them about 
why this, you know, a hard rubber, I'm using an ASICS example is so good, but like actually hold the shoe over, point to the, the rubber, point and like as your finger, where it's placed on it is next to the AHAR logo. Like it's, it, I learned like, I guess, presentation with the different technologies, but then it, it wasn't just like bullshitting. Like I really did want to know the differences between each one. And like when I would, when a customer was looking for a runner, you know, like ASICs, I'm using the the 10, uh, the 1060 or sorry, was no 1070 was the one that I primarily worked with at the beginning, 1070 and 2070. I would always make sure I would bring in like another model, bring out another model from the back kind of thing. And I would tell them like, look, you can probably feel this gel cushioning in the heel here. This one I brought out, it's $30 more, but I want you to just feel it because it also has the gel cushioning in the forefoot just so you can feel the difference between the two. So I always felt like trying to give people more information than they initially were seeking also was really helpful in uh, sales. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, so I, I, a lot of what you learned at Athlete's World must have translated over to when you when you eventually started your own online store or even, you know, you, you I mean, you have retail locations now. So I, some of that training must have carried over. Yeah, I think it really the, the idea of not being satisfied with just what is enough is something that I've always had. Um, I didn't want to just know the background or like the, the top line information about a shoe. I wanted to know more than what was maybe published out there. Even my early blog posts, I look back at it and I'll see, I'll remember where like, I wasn't satisfied enough with what the write-up was. I needed to try to go find some fact or find some parallel to something else to add in there so that if the reader happened upon the site, they were not only going to get some information about a shoe, but they were going to learn something they didn't expect to learn while they were there. So I'd say like, that's something I definitely carried forward into Nice Kicks, into the blog, where it was like, you came for one thing, but I gave you more than you were expecting. Right. And, and you, you eventually started, um, so you said you were selling shoes on eBay, right? From like for the store. Yeah. So this is like, there's no e-commerce at this time for shoes. I, I think Nike store had like three products or four products on it. Um, there was Nike Canada didn't even have a website as I recall. Um, Athletes World had a one page website that just had pictures of Prestos on it. Like it, it, we just had, I mean, there was no e-commerce at this time. So I, my, my boss had heard that I bought and sold musical instruments on eBay and wanted to see if I could buy some of the clearance items and put them on eBay. And it was just such a radical idea because nobody did this kind of thing at the time. I mean, the only thing you possibly heard about eBay in mainstream news was like somebody bought a cinnamon bun that looked like Jesus and for $500,000, you know, like it just wasn't a thing that not everybody was always trying to sell something on eBay at this time. What year was this, Matt? This is in 2001, or sorry, okay. 2002. Yeah. So um, he had the idea, like, light bulb went off in his head, like, well, you could try selling these. And if they don't sell, you could just bring them back. I'm like, well, I guess so. I got nothing to lose here. So I went to the store and bought several pairs, of these yellow shocks XTs, and put them up on eBay. And they sold pretty quickly. And I was like, wow, this. I didn't expect this, but I, I, you know, I kind of, I knew that the colorway was one that was not sold in America. So I was like, well, there's a chance that there's something here that, you know, people can't get in, in, in the United States. So maybe there's going to be demand. And sure enough, every pair sold to America. 
every single one. So I really saw, oh, here's something. People want what they can't get in their local area. Yeah. And that's, and like I was, I then went on a rampage to find like every clearance item that we had in, in Canada that they didn't have available in the US, which there weren't that many items. There were some, but not that many. There weren't that many items people would want anyways. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, what unreleased colorways of, or not unreleased, but like what rare colorways of Nike shocks could I go for? And I remember somebody's like, dude, why are you wasting your time trying to go after shocks? Air Force Ones and Jordans is what everybody wants. And I'm like, hey, what are you talking about? That shoe at Foot Locker, that, that old ass shoe at Foot Locker, that, the Air Force One? Okay, all right, I'll take your word for it, but I don't believe you. Um, yeah, dude, I, how the F would I know? Like, I didn't know what Air Force One was. I mean, like, Fresno, we didn't, I don't even know if we got Air Force Ones, like, other than like the all whites and all blacks at that time. That um, is it. All yeah, like, maybe you get that stuff. Uh, we had, I mean, we had every Cortez colorway that was ever released, that's for sure. Um, but um, yeah, so I did, you know, I just wasn't familiar with it, but then I just started to research that. And that's when I really kind of discovered what sneaker culture was, was when I happened to selling shoe, you know, the rare colorways of Nike shocks. When, you know, you're an entrepreneur and, and, and you're a business owner, like when, when did that, that like entrepreneurial or that, that mindset of like, you know, I want to, I want to do my own thing, or I, I want to try to do this on my own. And, and you saw an opportunity. When, when did that switch happen in, in your, in your mind? Um, it happened there in grade 12. I was doing it. Um, I never thought of it as like a business. I just thought of it. I was just buying something and selling something. And I grew up with buying and selling my whole life because I saw what my dad did. So my dad was a professor at Fresno State, as was my mom, but really my dad was a used car, used RV, used boat salesman. Um, we had a- What was he teaching there at Fresno State? Marketing. Okay, marketing. Yeah, and my mom was management, uh, taught management. So they were both in business, um, but I didn't, I didn't really realize the whole time that I was growing up that my dad was actually operating a business out of the house. I just didn't think like, this is actually a business. I just thought dad's got phone calls every Saturday morning, like nonstop <laughs> about cars at the house for sale. And I just didn't think like, oh, that's a business. But my dad was always, I mean, always buying and selling cars and RVs and boats. I mean, our neighbors must have hated us because we always had at least like four or five RVs in the backyard being fixed up to be sold. So. That's funny. So I just, I didn't realize it was a business. It was just, I just thought it was, oh, you're buying something and you're selling something. Right. And that eventually, you know, so when you, when, when you saw the opportunity to do your own thing, it was just like. Yeah. I was just like, wow, I can, I can make more doing this than working at the mall. Like this is awesome. Um, that's, that's how it all, that's how it all started. Um, you know, I, I just saw that, wow, this, I could do more with it. I could do, I could earn more and work less is hard here, not as hard. Um, so that's, that's what the light bulb, I guess, went off. But I, I really saw like, I can't, I remember that like somebody who came into athletes world, he was wearing a vintage pair of Reebok uh, high tops and asked him like, you know, where he got him. He said that he got him on eBay and like the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, Oh, he said eBay. He didn't say who he bought him from. And I'm like, think that's when I was like, Ooh, eBay's eBay is, is owning the transaction. Even though the person is paying me and I'm shipping to the, like eBay owns the transaction. eBay is where the consu the customer remembers where they got it. 
And so that's when I'm like, I have to build my own website. I have to build my own thing. I have to build something where people know and they're saying that they bought it from me, which of course, like, look, naive 17 year old, you, you know, you, eBay has a little bit of funding behind it. It's a little bit of a big name. Like it only has a couple millions of users. Here I am saying, yeah, I'll just go build my own website. Right. Um, I guess the thing that was so great about that is that I was still so young and still not so naive that it was just like, well, if I don't get it right initially, I'll just keep working until it works. Whereas like adult Matt would say like, oh, give me a break. You're going to try to compete with something like eBay or Amazon. Like, really? You're going to try that? Okay, good luck, bro. Um, but when you're young and naive, you, you just you just don't quit. You just go and you just keep going. And that's what I did. Yep. You know, some of the, you know, what was the, I know the first iteration of of Nice Kicks, it, I, correct me if I'm wrong, it was a blog, right? This this predates me, like I wasn't into into the culture, you know, back then. I, I know David was, but what, what was like the first? The first iteration of Nice Kicks actually was was actually e-commerce back in 2002, dropship e-commerce. So people would buy, shoot, buy and it was like, I, I would take the order and then the item would ship from overseas straight to the customer. Um, I didn't transition to a blog until I started on the project in like 05 and then it actually went live on nice kicks on April of 06, where it was only, uh, only, uh, content we had, there was like a little weird time where it was like e-commerce and content at the same time, but it was, it was like a solely content website in April, April 7th, 2006 is when the switch got flipped. That's when I remembered nice kicks. I remember nice kicks from like 2006. Cause I remember, you know, like the, you know, the smaller, like the, the resale, like, um, what was it? The, the high snobbity. And then yeah, I think, uh, like high beast, I don't remember, but I remember there was very few places that you could find info on like sneakers other than like Nike talk and like soul collector and things like that. So that was like, like when you would like Google things, like that's what would pop up. It'd always be like nice kicks or whatever. And you'd like click on it. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So I, before, like, that was one of the things that I did, I guess, learn in, in high school that it helped me a lot with nice kicks is search engine optimization. Like part of, I, like I knew how to make websites rank and index in Google, or I say Google, it's actually Yahoo at the time. And I, we didn't even call it search engine optimization. We just call it, we, we ranked high in Yahoo. Um, you know, SEO wasn't even a term that I, it, maybe it was used. I just didn't know. But you, um, you knew like you, you back, even back then you knew ways of like hacking it or you, you just knew marketing from um, your dad I, or what? Or? Yeah, it wasn't. So it wasn't, I mean, maybe it was hacking. I don't know. It was, it wasn't anything like, I just found that it was, I was building sound websites in an efficient coding type of way and building lots of links to the, to the different sites um, just link building. And, but then I always followed like really rigid structure about my page layout, my link structure, my site map, my category structure, the levels of the pages, all that kind of stuff. I was just very like anal about that stuff. And I guess as I learned more, I'm like, wow, having that really thought out plan actually is really like the key foundation to building a efficient website when it comes to link distribution and optimizing in, in Google. But like, um, so you I, never, you never hired like a website designer. You did. No, I did. I built, it all, I built it all myself. I started. So in the eighth grade, I started building like wild. Angel, yeah. Angel fire. It's so like in 98 or so I started building like angel fire web pages, um, and geo city stuff. So that's where I got like my feet wet with HTML. And then, um, and 11th grade, I had a friend in, in high school, um, 
at, at uh, Claremont in Victoria, he he had a website called uh, all64.com. It was like one of the leading websites for N64 cheat codes. So I like worked for him by, I mean, I didn't get paid anything, but I, I love just, I, I'm like, I'm new to the city. I'm like, oh, I can have a friend by doing website stuff. Cool, I'm your friend now. Um, so I started like building out all different pages for his website. He had like eight of us at high school working for him, but it was, it was pretty awesome. But that's where I really got, that's where I really got to understand different, the site structure. And he, he really had good planning um, and, and good design. And I really learned a lot of that from him. How how uh how how much are you, are you involved now with like the the actual design of the website? Like how 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 hands on are you about like you know how you want the the site to look and and does that transfer over to like the, to the retail stores? Um, you know, like like I, the, I guess the, U, I, the UI. I, I guess I, I, I'm a little too hands on when it comes. To oh that. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'm a little anal about it still. Um, as far as the retail, so I sold retail six years ago. It's not owned by me. It's it's a separate thing. Um, I think it actually just sold again to somebody else. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Um, but as far as the the website, like you know, like the site structure is is me. You know, I'm working on like that all the time. Like there was there were a couple of years where I de definitely wasn't on top of it as much as I needed to. So I'm currently going through and fixing all these dead links and dead images, which are piling up you know they're pretty big but um you know as far as a lot of the stuff on web and on site like that is me i do have a developer and designer that i do work with who are you know awesome but like in terms of link structure and and you know layout and all that kind of stuff category structure that's me and what when did you when did you start um i guess really thinking about like content as a strategy to 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 drive more uh, web traffic, like when when were you more uh, content focused? Like when, when did that happen? Yeah, so like in 06, I mean, I remember like my parents, my dad thought I was crazy for for doing a website that was content based. He's like, people go to the website, and there's nothing to buy. They'll never come back. No one wants to go to go to someplace if you're not selling something. I'm like, uh, no, actually, there. I believe there is. I. I have, I have a couple, I have already a bunch of pages in the background that are getting traffic that people are happy to come to. I'm sure if I move the page to being this, I'll do that. And I, I, I made a calculated guess that I could, I would do better at building audience through content than I would building customers through e-commerce. My hypothesis was right. I'm much oh, better at yeah, I'm much better at, at at content than commerce, and um, I think that I needed to. I, it's unfortunate I didn't remember that when I went into retail and e-commerce again uh, in the 2010s. Um, but content and audience development is is my forte. Uh, that's that's really what I'm my greatest strength is. And that audience development and content isn't just on web, I found like, you know, we have developed a really good team when it comes to social. Um, and social is just like, it's just like another internet. It's just the way we look at it. You know, the way we approach each medium is like another website. And, you know, again, it's content and audience development is the game of social building. Yeah, man, that's crazy. I'm loving Nice Cakes Vault, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I love that one too. Uh, that yeah. was a good one. That's the Caleb, best. Caleb's been killing that. 
Shout out to Gabe, man. He's hilarious, man, on Twitter. He's one of the funniest dudes. Like his his memes are on point. He's funny, dude. Gabe is great. Gabe is I, I love Gabe. Gabe, uh I just love it. It's it's amazing. Gabe worked with me in 2012 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually came aboard initially when we were doing the blog for finish line way back when um, we had a contract job with them where we operated for like a year or whatever. And he came on board for that. Um, and then he, he rejoined the team in like 2018 and he's just been, he just has killed it this year as creative director. Yeah, he is. He's killing it. What, so uh, what were some of like the, the, uh, the greatest hits of like your, like what series, like like early greatest hits that you guys had you know when you were making content like because this again this predates me this is more you you and david's era so I've, i mean i've seen like the sneaker shopping ones or the i mean the the were you sneak guys peek. yeah the sneak peek. yeah so i mean before before we did video um you know we had some content series that were doing really well like one of the things that we had done that we started doing that be, like we started columns on nice cakes before that there were no such thing as columns in, in sneakers i mean you had you had forums right i mean i i guess nice cakes really was like the first blog just about sneakers you had you know hypebeast and high society had their sneaker and streetwear and gadget stuff but like yeah as for just sneakers nice cakes was the first blog solely dedicated to that and but something that we did was we didn't just cover the news we had columns and what one of the first columns that we had was started on a Thursday where it was a slow news day. I think I only had one or two posts that day. I was like looking around and I'm like, well, I have all this collection in the closet here in this studio apartment that I'm like operating out of. I'm like, wait a second, let's do a post and we will do it that is going to be featuring an old shoe and we'll just tell the history of it as though we're telling it for the first time. And it just so happened to be on a Thursday. And I love alliterations. I learned them from my grade 12 teacher, Mr. Stack. And I was like, well, let's call this thing Throwback Thursday. And that was this, that was like one of the first columns on the site. I think we had release reminder was one that we did before. Again, another alliteration. Um, but yeah, Throwback Thursday was this weekly column on the site. Yeah. And it was the thing where we'd always like go into the, go into the vault. Almost all of the shoes um, were ones that I owned. And then I started actually sourcing and scouring the internet and buying tons of shoes just so I could get really good photos for the website. Some of these shoes the, still today, like, the pictures are still circulating around the web that I took in like 08 and 09. And they're like, the still the only good shots out there. Like the air force STS. I still see my white and orange pair everywhere. Air, the Nike air command force. OG, like they've retroed it, but I still see my OG pair floating around on Google images. Um, and this is still got those pairs. I don't, I don't have a man. I don't have hardly any shoes anymore. Uh, first of all, those STS, almost everything that, that had any mental crumbled, that you know well forever ago and i honestly like i've purged so much i gave away throughout you know donated a bunch of stuff um i probably have like 25 pairs something like that not that many shoes anymore um 
But yeah, so that was one of our first columns, Throwback Thursday. Uh, Kicks on Court was another one that we did, which was every um, every day, every morning, at, recapping what was worn uh, by NBA dudes the night before, which was tougher than it seems. I know, yeah. Because there weren't a lot of photos of the guys and the <laughs> photographers at that time didn't always have the shoes in the shot. So like we would go through like, Shout out to George Keel. He'd have to go through Yahoo images and try to find the best shots to, to work with because a lot of the NBA photographers didn't take shoot shots at that time. So they were still shooting things mostly tall for like newspaper type of editorials. Um, Kicks on Court, uh, Celebrity Sneaker Stalker, which was originally started by Joe LaPuma, contributing to Nice Kicks and then taken over by Ian Stonebrook. And that one was a column on the website. Um, and then when we did, when we got into doing YouTube, we actually did translate some of those web columns into video series. Like I did a couple throwback Thursdays uh, myself, but like Kicks on Court became a video series. We, you know, every week George was recapping the best shoes worn on court and some highlight clips and some, you know, interview stuff. Um, and this is like 2012. I mean, this is really early. Um, when we look back at it now for, in terms of the sneaker YouTube, um, eras. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the thing that we wanted to do is we didn't want to just be news. Uh, we wanted to, to extend the conversation in other ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes sense that, 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 that was, you know, driving growth for you guys, because I think nostalgia is super powerful and, you know, something like the history of a shoe like how we do on our channel, you know, people are, people are still into that kind of thing. And, and, um, it, you know, it totally makes sense why that would, uh, that would help you guys grow. But, um, you know, at some point you, you know, you were, I guess, getting so much attention from these, I would assume from these columns and from your site and from your guys's growth that, you know, companies like Adidas and New Balance reached out to you to, to work with you, uh, with, with, with collabs. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so my first collab was done not from a brand directly. It was with Ronnie, um, Ronnie Feig at David Z. Um, and we did two Gelite threes, one in, oh, well, released in 09, another released in 2010. Um, then we did projects with Adidas and New Balance. I think New Balance was the, it came before Adidas. Um, New Balance 1500, um, that came out in the end of 2011, I believe it was. And then... Um, we had Adidas as well. Um, we did a Campus 80 with them. And that one was a, that was an idea that actually came to me when I was out at, um, at Portland, Oregon. They had a retail summit where they brought out a bunch of different retailers. I think this is late 2010. Um, and they were talking about the campus being like this big shoe for them the next year. And I went back to my hotel room um, and I mocked up, I did a Photoshop of an Adidas campus um, in burnt orange with, with brown saddle leather stripes. And I pitched it to him and I even like made like a, a poster for it. And I, I can't remember if I called it the big man on campus or the big something on campus. <laughs> Playing off of the name because like Nice Kicks shop was like right on, right on, on the drag, right by UT. Uh-huh. And I came up with this concept and then I said, well, you know, there's some other retailers here who are near, you know, some universities or have some university tie-ins. So like Ducky at Major is in Georgetown. 
you know, let's, you know, maybe they could do a Georgetown colorway. And then Shoebiz did a uh, Stanford colorway. So we had this thing that they then became a three shoe pack called Campus on Campus. And it was crazy how like just this idea that kind of came to me and I'm like, it was like an idea that came to me, but I'm like, let me just put, put some materials together to then show and pitched it. And other guys, you know, like Ducky and, and uh, Mayron definitely liked the idea too. They, you know, wanted to be in with this. And I th and so it was awesome to see like, you know, the two coasts represented and, and us in Texas be part of this campus on campus pack um, where we came with this collab. Um, and one day I was driving home and, you know, it was weird because like at that time it got pushed through Adidas, a US, and it didn't have our branding on the product because I knew like at that time, like a lot of brands are just, they're, they're funny about getting a brand logo on a collaboration on their product. There's just all kinds still, of- Still, right? Yeah. Oh, it's still just ridiculous. Yeah, even worse probably now. Yeah, it is. Um, but I was like, but there's a way we could do it. There's a way we could alter the product. And we, there's a way we could alter it in a way that would be pretty authentic. So when I mocked up this Campus 80, I had first pitched a campus and then Everett Grace at Adidas is like, no, you are not doing it just a Campus 2. We're putting an 80s outsole on this. We're going to make this a nice, sexy campus. I'm like, all right, perfect. Um, I was like, look, I, I wanted like some really hairy suede on the upper. I just wanted it to be like a very OG feel with that. And I started thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, I thought of the name of the word brand, the essence of the word brand, right? It's like, well, where, where do we get that phrase from when we say a product is branded? Well, I know this is like so stereotypical Texan, but like when you brand your cattle, like you are applying a brand to this cow. Like you are not just saying it's mine, like therefore, you know, therefore it is. But there's a reason why a ranch, like they, they put work into the way your ranch logo is because you want to uphold your logo and, and your brand. So I had this idea of like, okay, well, what if we made branding irons and we branded our shoes with a branding iron? It was a way we, that we could customize the product and allow the customer to have a unique experience where no two products were gonna be the same. Because again, long haired suede, like was very, you know, very, so much variance on it. And then you apply the brand and you're gonna have like a little bit of imperfection. So that's part of the beauty of it. So I had three branding irons made. I had a nice kicks logo. I had a shape of Texas because Texas. And the last one was the, like the shadow star, the lone star. And what we did was that when we, when we had the release, we had the irons heated up and myself and manager Greg Grovey, we were branding the shoes as people were buying and they got to choose what logos were placed where on the product. Uh, so and if we made it as like an in-store exclusive was like, you couldn't get the branded pairs unless you came to the shop to get them there. That's pretty cool. If you bought them online, you just got blanks. If you came in store, you get, you get, we were out there branding and you could see there's like some great photos of like the smoke coming up as we're like branding these tongues and, and shoes, sides did, of the shoes. Did anybody line up? Did you guys have lines for that? Oh yeah. Yeah. We had a huge event. We had a huge event. Yeah. We had a huge event out there. We like, we went to Home Depot and got a huge like faux grass carpet put out there. It had a gigantic smoker um, uh, for, for the day. Like we made it like a whole tailgate type of experience. Um, 
And that was kind of like the, that was the inspiration behind it. And so we wanted to take like the whole, add some like college flair and, and whatever to the, to the campus shoe. That's gotta be the most Texas shoe of all time. Collab ever. I know, dude. Yeah. And it, it's funny because like a lot of people initially were like, but Texas is a Nike school. And it's like, you, that didn't stop anybody from celebrating that shoe. Uh, we had plenty of people who were down there for that. That's cool. That is cool. Talk to me about the 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 uh, the fifteen hundred. Why did you decide to go with that model, uh, or or did they come to you with with uh... No, they. I picked the fifteen hundred, and the reason I wanted to do the fifteen hundred is that I wanted to do a collaboration. It was like I was inspired by like my favorite collaboration of all time. My favorite collaboration of all time, and still to this day, is not a shoe. It's 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 a car. It's mm -hmm. the W one twenty four Porsche and Mercedes Benz collaboration on the E five hundred ninety four ninety five to be exact. Um, and I absolutely love that car. Um, I love the W one twenty four so much that um, I bought a one twenty four on eBay when I was sixteen years old. Um, I. Dang. My dad and I got an auto drive away and we, we, we took a Greyhound from Fresno uh, Greyhound terminal down to LA. And then we had to catch like a series of buses to get down to Long Beach to get to this auto drive away. And then we drove um, out to Houston, Texas for me to pick up this, this car I bought on eBay, um, W124 Mercedes. And uh, it was, oh boy, it was in bad shape, but it, it got home at least. Um, so I've loved this. I've loved this body style of car forever, um, and especially this the e, the E five hundred at that time. But anyways, why the fifteen hundred? Because of this, the fifteen hundred is the only one that has angular lines on it uh -huh. and straight straight lines and corners. If you look at the whole lineup of New Balance shoes, especially I'm, I'm primarily talking about the toe box, toe cap, that kind of thing. Um, Everything else is rounded. Yeah. But this one has the angular lines and the angular lines remind me of the 15 of the W124 Mercedes because like that E-Class did have a lot of boxy design, angular lines, especially like if you look at the taillights and that kind of thing. Whereas like, you know, afterwards, like starting in 96, it went to a much more round type of thing. Um, so that's why I picked the 1500. And then with that, I wanted to do a colorway that was like timeless to New Balance, but also had a twist of us in it. So like I wanted to have the red in there, but there were some other things that I wanted to, to kind of play with. Like I challenged myself to only use white laces. I really love white laces on, on a product. So, I, you know, it's a couple non-negotiables for me when I was designing was white lacing and a lot of gray. So there are a couple shades of gray on the shoe. Um, and then some of it was just like some fun um, on the original gel light three that we did with ASICs. A lot of people don't realize this, but the, the stripes are actually perforated and behind the perforations is 3M. So a lot of people didn't, and I didn't, I intentionally didn't shoot any photos of this beforehand, but a lot of people discovered when they got their gel light threes and they took a picture of them that this thing lights up when you take a photo of it. Because on the surface, you look at it, you just think they're red stripes. You take a flash, that flash goes through those perforations and then flashes back at you. So I, I, liked, it, I liked playing with reflective and I did a full reflective tongue on the 1500. 
So on the photos, you wouldn't necessarily catch that. And then if you took a photo of it, you definitely caught it. Yeah, definitely probably one of my favorites of the, uh, the nice kick, nice kicks collabs. Um, I noticed, uh, just totally out of left field, but I noticed you shared, a something on your Instagram stories not that long ago, um, of your friend buying a, uh, it was like a, a sports card. It was a rookie card. I forget who it was. Oh, Rob Goff. Yeah. Yep. But he, he paid like millions for yep. it. How, how much your sports cards on your radar? Like, um, and, and are you seeing like a, a convergence of sneaker culture and sports cards at all? Is that mm. something you're paying attention to? Uh, I, I have absolutely no interest in investing in sports cards right no. now. Uh, no. I don't have enough money to buy Rob Goff type of uh, stuff. Actually, funny. So Rob and I have known each other since like 2007 or so. Uh, he was actually my affiliate manager at Finish Line. So he used to uh, like be a manager of the affiliate program at Finish Line. That's how we met. So it's, been, it's like amazing to see. I mean, he's gone on to create some incredible companies. I was his Uber driver once. I remember. That's amazing. <laughs> like, That's amazing. I, I, I didn't, I didn't like, you know, I didn't even know who he was, but he just told me he like, you know, operated this brand and he told me the brand and I was like, cool. I dropped him off at LAX. Um, yep. But uh, I remember looking at the photo like, oh shit, this is that one dude. He was super chill too. He was like really oh, into what I was doing at the time. Super nice so guy. cool, dude. So, yeah. 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 Midwest dude, like very humble. So what, so what so what are you guys working on now at nice kicks like at the the uh your your guys's socials like have really kind of taken off like i remember when when i first reached out to you or you or i think yeah i we i reached out to you and uh we spoke um like the the i noticed that the engagement on instagram has just been super through the roof recently this past year has been incredible for us um, we've had the greatest growth year on, on every metric in it, literally a year over year growth in our company's history. I mean, even going back to the square one in 06. So through the pandemic, through, you know, some, some changes that we made through some, you know, great contributions and moves and hard work by the team, you know, we had, you know, just the best year ever. Um, and one of those is, is the Instagram uh, engagement rate. I mean, we have just really, really stepped up the level of engagement with our audience. Um, and I think it's really that we've been treating it as its own thing, not trying to tie it too much to the website or too much to other things. Like really like what is the conversation people are having and, and, and contributing and, and engaging and having, building dialogue with them on that. Um, you know, we, we really know like what is our role within the community? Our role within the community is not to push you to, to, to buy this or push you to buy that. Our role is to help represent and echo the voices that people have, how the consumers feel about things. Exactly. You know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the consumers and our fans. And like, they're who we work for. It's not for the brands. It's not for retailers. It's not for athletes. You know, like it's for the, for the consumers, for the audience, for the, for sneakerheads. That's who we're here for. And I think having that really like honing in and realizing that approach really helped or realized that really helped us with our approach and helps with IG. Yeah, for sure. I noticed it big time. And, uh, you know, I, I can totally, uh, you know, confirm that. Like, I feel like you guys are speaking to me sometimes when I'm, especially, <laughs> like, even on, especially on Twitter. I'm like, oh, is this is actually nice kick sweetness, you know? Yeah, Seems we, like a person that's talking to me sometimes. 
Yeah, well, well, that's the thing is that like we, it's so easy to get lost in the space. And we, you know, one time it, it was more personal, like actually like, gosh, up until like 2013 or 2014, like I was doing, I was adding a lot of personal tweets to the Twitter mix. They actually had to take the tweet, the Twitter away from me. Cause I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was just <laughs> watching basketball games and I was just wild on there with, with stuff. And, you know, I remember one person on the team was like, you can't speak for all of us. I'm like, but it's gotta be human, you know? And that's, and so like, we went away from that. We're like, okay, it's a brand talking. And it's like, no, that's not what people want. Like, mm-hmm. like they, they don't want that. No. They, like they don't want a brand talking they don't want some soulless you know thing they want people like for god's sakes it's called social like that's my biggest thing too yeah Yeah. make social social again like yeah yep yep that's exactly how i feel (laughs) uh so when when are you gonna move the uh the headquarters to fresno man when are you gonna when are you gonna build 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 shop there uh, I, When's the comeback? I, yeah, I know, right? I, well, I wanted to. I was gonna come back this year for a football game, but uh, this little thing called Corona has been fucking shit up. Um, so I'll be back in Fresno. I, I definitely will. My brother and I have been going to quite a few games um, when they play in the mountain. Um, uh, when they play the when they go on the road to play in the, against some of the mountain teams. So my brother lives in Denver. And we drove up to Laramie, um, you know, Colorado State's, I mean, Fort Collins is just right up the road. Um, Air Force is in uh, Colorado Springs, just the south. Um, so we were looking at the schedule and like it, it pretty much works out that almost every year or every other year we can get one of those mountain teams to go that we can drive to from Denver. Mm-hmm. But I saw Frontier Airlines has directs to Denver. So we might just do where I fly up and pick him up basically at Denver airport and go out to Fresno from there and get some home games in. Yeah. yeah. Join the red wave brother. Exactly, man. Man, I think, that's that. I think David has the biggest, uh, you know, what bulldogs hat collection, right? In Fresno. He has all the stuff I want. I got, I got a bunch, dude. I got a, I got a, I got a bunch, but it's like a, it's like a crazy addiction. Cause like there's so many and there's so many different periods and I'm just like, man like i don't know i got this whole thing with the whole like old snapbacks and stuff like that especially like you know early 90s ones like they just fit so well and they're just well how many do you have what right now yeah i don't i don't even know maybe like just fresno state caps yeah uh, like at least 20 <laughs> well maybe we can send you one man Oh, yeah. I plan on sending him one. I still have it in the box. I just haven't sent it to him. <laughs> well, actually, don't send it to that address where I was at. Please don't. No. That, not, not that address anymore. That one's I no got, good. Yeah, I got you. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you offline about that one. Um, yeah. But the, uh, <laughs> the uh, yeah, like Fresno State snapbacks are, are – I remember picking up a couple sports specialties um, a couple years ago, way back. Actually, now it's, gosh, seven years ago. I wish I grabbed more when I when I had the chance. I would really love to find the shark tooth. Oh, that's God. like that's like the unicorn of all unicorns, man. There's a the, that dude in Salinas has got one or Santa Cruz, right? You know he sold it for five hundred and fifty bucks already. Damn, Are you what? kidding me? No. Yeah, it was a little too much lettuce for me though. I was like, ah, he can. <laughs> I'll find what I. You know what? My whole thing is the is the thrill of the hunt though. I like going to these like yard sales and like 
you know, old neighborhoods and stuff like that and looking for them, like and finding them and then, you know, washing them up and cleaning them up. Cause it just, it feels more like, you know, like, I don't know. It's like, you get the nostalgia that this was, this is someone's like, you know, this was someone before me's cap, you know? Yeah. Yep. Spe- speaking of like yard sales and, and vintage stuff, I noticed again on, on your stories, you're posting like these vintage Korean like oh, yeah, yeah. basketball kicks or something like what's Korean, like made like mid eighties Korean made basketball shoes are like my favorite things. I, the cup the quality and craftsmanship is, is so good. Um, a lot of people, it's funny that the like bootleg Jordan ones, like a huge thing right now is that in terms of a trend, I used to collect those things like crazy starting back in like the mid two thousands. Um, like I remember getting, I think I got my first pair of air sangs back in like Oh four Oh five. Um, and then I started just buy, like, whenever I'd find a bootleg, I'd just buy it. I thought it was so cool because like, to me, I thought it said so much like that the air Jordan one meant so much that there were all these brands making their own version of it mm-hmm. back in the day like that. And, um, gosh, I wish I'd been buying 1985 Jordans at the time too, but still like, it, I, I just had this, I, I thought that there was something kind of poetic about it. Like that this shoe meant so much that you had like, not just like one or two, like you had like tons of these things. And then further to like, well, you're talking about the the hunt. Like, I don't know how many bootlegs there are. I discover new ones all the time. Just when I think I've seen them all, like another one pops up. And it's, there's something really fascinating about that to me. Um, but going adding on to that's where I started to fall in love with Korean made because I liked the Korean made bootlegs the most they were the best quality and then I started just looking at other made in Korea shoes of that era and there are some there's some really fantastic ones yeah they look dope they look dope well this has been great man thanks so much uh really enjoyed this this is our first episode and I hope I hope uh I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did so thanks man Absolutely. Well, you got to bring me back for episode five, five, nine. I just <laughs> promised me that. I like 100%. that. Yeah. I love that. That's a great yeah. idea. There we go. All right, Matt. Hey, thank you guys. All right, thank, big Matt. Be cool. Take thank you so day. much, man. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Uh, Matt is just an awesome person. He's obviously super intelligent and we could talk to him for hours. If you came over from the YouTube channel, thank you so much for listening. It's so appreciated. Uh, I know we haven't been uploading that much, but we're going to start to very soon. We just wanted to launch this podcast first. If you're here from the Facebook group, you know your family. Thank you so much. Uh, Much love. Uh, Like I said in the intro, man, this is our very first episode. So we're going to try to uh, improve upon this each week and hopefully bring you guys some value and some entertainment and basically yeah we have a podcast now and it's dope but if you could run over to uh, itunes and leave us a review if you could leave this podcast a review it would be much appreciated it would help us out because you know we're just starting out and yeah see you guys next week peace and love later